You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, uh, I normally ask you how, how you are, how everything is going. We engage in some some uh, some light chit-chat, some chatter. Banter. Some banter, you might even say. Today, a little bit different. We go on the air with the Co-Main Event Podcast immediately following the Nevada State Athletic Commission's ruling and its decision to ban Nick Diaz uh, from professional MMA action in its state for five years for testing positive for marijuana in the wake of his fight against Anderson Silva. Um, this was a sometimes contentious and extremely lengthy hearing today where I think everyone who uh, followed it in some regard is kind of in on the joke that the Nevada State Athletic Commission seemed to know what it was going to do before any of this even started. If anything, it seemed like by showing up with an attorney uh, who had come to do battle and who had come to uh, voice an opinion and do what appeared to be a credible job, and then by refusing to answer questions, maybe it was uh, Nick Diaz even made things a little worse on himself, which I think... uh, speaks to the nature of the event that we all just witnessed over the yes. last several hours. Yeah, it does. It tells you something, doesn't it? It, is, it seems like it's such a weird thing. The Nevada State Athletic Commission hearings, they're structured at times as if we're in a court of law. We're deciding you know, punishments and things that are going to happen to people's careers as a result of things they have allegedly done wrong. And yet whenever they get pushed on some of this stuff by an actual lawyer who seems like he has come there uh, with knowing his business, then the first thing they'll fall back on is that they are not an actual court and can basically do whatever the hell they want to. I have to think that if if Nick Diaz and his people paid any attention to what the NSAC has done recently, they kind of knew that this would probably be the response when you went in there and challenged the Nevada State Athletic Commission's authority and that what we saw here was the the first round in a legal battle to come. That's right. Some of this, a lot of this, in fact, seemed like uh, Nick Diaz's lawyer merely uh, laying the groundwork for a future appeal, which we assume will come. Uh, It doesn't seem like Nick Diaz will probably lay down and take this one uh, quietly. So the story will continue to develop and uh, we will follow it as it happens. Can't you just feel this becoming like a made for TV inspirational movie where Nick Diaz wins a battle for fighters rights? Who, I can I can see it right who, now. Who who would play Nick Diaz in the television movie uh about about himself? Oh man. Is that guy who was AC Slater on Saved by the Bell is he too old? Probably a little bit too old. Damn. Uh he, but but an M- MMA fan, right? Mario Lopez? Yeah. Seen seen Cage Side sometimes? Uh how about Colin Farrell? Well, he's a he's got great range, yeah. as we recently found out on on True Detective season two. Uh you know who was good in uh uh, the the wrestling movie. Remember the what was the wrestling movie called about Mark Schultz? Uh, yeah, what was that? We called? both saw it. Now you I cannot did. recall the name. Uh, but uh, remember Mark Ruffalo, your boy Mark playing, Ruffalo. Uh, uh, there's the Schultz brother who ends up getting murdered. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, maybe with some some prosthetics on the face, he could okay. do, do a credible Nick Diaz. Yeah, or as I like to think of Mark Ruffalo, 
uh, the best Incredible Hulk there's ever been. Okay. All right. Uh, you know what else I wanted to do before we get into this proper? I know you and I talked about this off air last week, but then after we were done recording, I feel like I came to the realization that we forgot to talk about it. And that is, are we going to set an official date for the Co-Main Event Podcast Book Club? Because we've been talking about it for a while. We're going to do uh, Sean O'Connell, UFC Light Heavyweights book. Uh, another title that I cannot remember. To Light Us, To Guard Us. To Light Us, To Guard Us. Uh, and it is, it's a lengthy book. It's like 600 pages. You can get it off Amazon for your e-reader. Um, so we're going to want to give everybody enough time, including myself, who has not yet bought or begun the book. Uh, so we were thinking about You're around, a terrible example. around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe just after Thanksgiving to give yes. people the Thanksgiving holiday. The Monday after Thanksgiving is November 30th. All right. How does that sound to you? Boom. Book and, it. And so it is November 30th. We will do the next co-main event podcast book club where we will do to light us to guard us by ufc light heavyweight sean o'connell so what you're saying is we will record a regular podcast on that monday we will then we will reconvene for i think the i think the last time we did them back to back didn't we or did we do the 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 book club the next day i don't know i just remember we were drinking i think we recorded them back to back and then maybe remember maybe released the book club the following day perhaps we'll figure it out we've got some time Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. Football season has only just begun, but it already feels like the playoffs at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where millionaires are being crowned all season long. One-week fantasy at DraftKings means no season-long commitments. It's fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. And with a million bucks on the line, every game is the big game and every play matters. So first and 10 in the first quarter feels like fourth and goal with one second left and a long touchdown run could mean more than just a victory for your favorite team. It could mean you've just turned your love of football into a million dollar payday. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Ben? Jed, you hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code CME to play for free for a shot at $1 million in this week's Millionaire Maker event. Enter CME for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Three rounds as usual this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, the one-night tournament is back, courtesy of Bellator. But are you ready for Linton Vassal squaring off with Felipe Lintz with the number one contendership on the line? And in round number two, the honeymoon for the UFC's new state-run drug testing program ended abruptly last week with the publication of a long-ass article about boxing. Now we have to wonder... Were we ever really married to it at all? What's really going on? And in round number three, Tito Ortiz, we can do it again, brother. We can do it again. Or can we? All that plus just saying stuff, are you fucking kidding me in Master Tweet Theater? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Patrick Burmel. He writes... Naga and other submission grappling tournaments have an absolute division in which any weight fighter can compete. Do you think any current MMA program, uh, promotion would consider offering such a division? Please discuss. Now, I think the short answer to this is, is no, especially not if it existed in America. Uh, I think, you know, we've gotten pretty far afield from, uh, from the, that kind of 
uh, pioneer days history of MMA where, where there were no weight limits and anything would, would go. You, you would probably have a hard time getting a state athletic commission to sign off on this kind of thing. Uh, the long answer I think is it might be kind of interesting. I was thinking about this after Demetrius Johnson beat John Dodson at UFC 191 a few weeks ago. If we organized like a tournament of, of current UFC champions, do you think it's a given that the heavyweight champ would win? Cause that would be like an absolute division tournament in a way. I mean, I'm not saying Mighty Mouse would win, but I'm just saying like it's not out of the question that he could beat, you know, TJ Dillashaw or whatever. Right. I think that it's all fun and games to do an absolute division in a grappling tournament when nobody is getting their head knocked around. It's I don't think we would like it so much if we saw it when it comes to like striking arts. I don't I, think we'd enjoy that. There is a reason for the weight classes to begin with. Yeah. To open the door to the smaller fighters, but as Tank Abbott once said, not the giant door. Right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think that it's it's fun in grappling tournaments because it feels kind of low stakes, right? Like any that's even true like when you're signing up for grappling tournaments. It's like you know, you you put some pressure on yourself to do well in your division, but then when you do the absolute division, you can always kind of tell yourself, "Well, shit, man, it was just a, a free for all out there." Unless you lose to a significantly lighter fighter, which, for the record, I have done in a grappling tournament, and that doesn't feel so great. Uh, but I mean, I think that it feels like, "Hey, why the hell not?" When you're doing it in a grappling, like, what do you have to lose? Like it bruises your ego a little bit, or you know, some heavyweight puts his knee on your ribs, and that's going to hurt a little bit. But it's not like you go out there and you suddenly realize that when a heavyweight is throwing those those bungalows at you, you can't take more than one or two, and then you get a concussion for no good reason. Yeah, I have a feeling we tend to remember fondly the times that no weight limits worked in its favor, in, or in our favor as the viewers, uh, and sort of forget the times when it perhaps did not. You know, we remember that that was it was kind of Ikohisa Minowa's thing, right, to fight the Giants. And, Super Hulk uh, tournament, baby. Super Hulk tournament. And Vanderlei Silva had a good showing against Mark Hunt, right? We had some fun, uh, fun. open weight fights over in Pride. Uh, but the, you know, more often than not, what you get is a giant 265 pound Mark Coleman taking down a, a tiny 215 pound Don Fry, just beating on him relentlessly. Uh, and you know, that was probably that al along with mainstream acceptance and, and, sanctioning by state athletic commissions of course the impetus behind coming in with the weight classes to begin with could anybody do this though what about one fc i don't even know if we know too many fighters that they have across different weight classes but if one fc over there in asia was like hey man we're going to bring out an absolute division hashtag would watch or hashtag seen it before i mean i hashtag would watch and it was i'm sure we're going to get into this conversation when we talk about the bellator dynamite show later but it'd be one of those things where a, people wouldn't get too mad at somebody like 1FC because we don't hold them to the same expectations as the UFC. And it would be a, a good way, frankly, for them to get some attention, assuming they could get their fighters to do it. Yeah. What if Ben Askren just started kicking everybody's ass in the absolute division? That would be a good that vehicle would, for him, wouldn't that it? That would be kind of awesome. Also, uh, since you mentioned uh, Minimal Man and the, he was the Super Hulk tournament winner, as I'm, I'm not sure you recall, uh, and... I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, but I was at that one, the New Year's Eve fight where he won the tournament finally. And afterwards, they had a little, you know, they didn't do a press conference. They just bring fighters back kind of like individually in this weird cloistered, it's like a huge 
Saitama Super Arena is huge, and they have this tiny little press room, and then they had like a woman like translating, and you could wear an earpiece and hear the translation, and then she would translate uh, for the fighter. And I asked Minoma Man something about what it meant to him to win, like if it felt like a meaningful athletic accomplishment to win the Super Hulk tournament. And I knew that I was going to have problems figuring out whether the translation got messed up going in or coming back out. When the answer came back, and I heard the, the woman's voice say in my ear, of course I was born a human being, <laughs> but sometimes a fighter must go into the darkness where the Hulk lives. And I was thinking, well, all right, I'm not going to take another crack at this one. I mean, that seems more glorious than you possibly could have imagined when you <laughs> answered the question. I would love it if someone besides Emmanuel Newton would answer my questions that way. I think it ended with him talking about the Japanese national baseball team, just so you know what that quote spanned. Well, uh, Ben, you brought up the Bellator show this weekend. We've been talking about... Uh the, the, the fond memories of MMA in Japan from years ago. This question from Josh Montgomery, he writes, I used to always wonder how it would work from a fan interest or promotability standpoint to mix different types of combat sports in with an MMA event. I always thought it would be a good idea. This coming weekend, Bellator is going to give that idea a go, throwing in some glory kickboxing into the mix. Are you dudes interested in this concept at all? And how do you think it will come across to MMA fans? Now, we're going to talk about the Bellator event a bunch in rounds one and three, uh, but we weren't going to take on this topic specifically, so I think it makes sense to talk about it now, and that is obviously that Scott Coker, formerly a kickboxing promoter, where that's where his roots are over there in, in California, uh, and obviously a student of the history of the game, is for the first time ever going to do this Bellator show this weekend where they, there are kickboxing events, or kickboxing fights and MMA fights, uh, sometimes going simultaneously. I am to believe. Well, have you uh, seen the the card, the list I, of all? I mean, you gotta throw some of those simultaneously. Otherwise, it's like it becomes like a music festival where it's right. like a three day. You event. got like thirteen undercard fights and like eight fights on the main card. Uh, we've seen the mock up of the of the arena with the cage uh, right next to the kickboxing ring, which I think proposes some interesting challenges for live spectators. Yeah, especially if you are ringside at the kickboxing ring, how are you going to watch the MMA fights? Like it's just. It seems like you're gonna to have to pick one or the other, and maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the point. Like but a music festival, obviously, like right? First stage and second stage, right? Uh, this isn't the first time this has been done. Obviously, Bellator kind of uh, borrows the idea from the old K1 Dynamite events in Japan that used to have kickboxing and MMA. Although I don't think going at the same time, I think that'll be a first. Uh, I wonder about the same thing as Josh Montgomery. I'm not sure it does seem like a good idea. I don't know that. Uh, the normal Bellator crowd that is going to tune in to watch this on Saturday night on Spike TV is that interested in kickboxing. Um, I know I'm not, really, but I'm just going to have to see how it goes. I, I could see it being kind of a drag. But see, maybe that's part of the goal, right? Is that maybe they figure some of these MMA fans would like kickboxing if they gave it a chance, and some of these kickboxing fans would like some MMA if they gave it a chance. Maybe that's what, especially since Spike has, it seems, invested more in we're going to be a place for combat sports rather than just we're going to be a place for this one type of combat sport, uh, which I think is kind of savvy on their part. And so, I don't know. I mean, I guess I like that they're giving it a shot because I am really interested to see how it's going to work. However, like you, I can't say that I'm being pulled in by the kickboxing at all. Well, and actually, they've played it kind of smart, I think, in terms of actually booking the kickboxing fights uh, during the main card, uh, because you're going to open up with the two light heavyweight MMA tournament fights. And then the first 
uh, kickboxing fight is the women's bantamweight fight, at least if they go by what the, the bout order is that, that I'm looking at on Wikipedia, the first fight would be, uh, Carrie Ann Taylor Melendez against Hadley Griffin. Um, and she is Gilbert Melendez's what wife? Yes. Gilbert Melendez's wife. And then the next kickboxing fight right after that features a guy we all know from MMA and that's Paul Daly taking on Fernando Gonzalez. So, uh, you know, as an MMA fan, there's going to be some, some items of interest there. I think even though what you're watching is, is a different sport. And of course you got to kind of space this out because you start the card with those two, two tournament fights and then you come back for the co-main event. So you got to put, uh, one, two, three, four fights in between there before you get the, the two finalists of the 205 pound tournament out there for the co-main event to, to figure out who's the number one contender. Yeah. You know what? I also looked at that, the card as it's presented on Wikipedia. Did you notice who is the curtain jerker according to Wikipedia's order of the, the bouts? Uh, Frankie Cars? Francis the- Carmont Frankie Cars. Well, how the hell is that going to work? Well, that, they, that's going to give everyone a lot of time to get to their seats. Because you're going to have, you got 15 minutes, you might as well just plot out right there. Or, since he gets to fight first and then be done, it gives Frankie Cars an opportunity to assist in a jewel heist, uh, drive the getaway car, and then still be back in his seat by the time the main card starts so he can be on TV and have an alibi. Got an al- I was at this Bellator Dynamite thing, man. You see me on TV. They don't call him the best wheel man in the business for nothing. It also bears mentioning... Francis Carmont, one of only four fighters on the preliminary card to actually have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> and you know what Francie, uh, Frankie Carr is going to say if you try to poke holes in his alibi. He's going to straight channel Nick Diaz at the NSAC and just say Fifth Amendment. Uh, next question this week comes from Neil C. He writes, I heard Dave Meltzer say that Ronda Rousey draws from a different crowd than most fighters. That... A lot I mean, of we have pe- also said that. We have also fine. said that. We'll, see. we'll go with Dave Meltzer. Whatever. Why not? The authority. Hey, uh, Dave Meltzer said it, Neil. Fine. That a lot of people that have turned Rousey into a super draw and going by the Correa numbers, that's exactly what she has become, are very new to MMA. They aren't MMA fans. They are instead Ronda Rousey fans. Exposing JJ to the audience makes sense. We've made all these points, yes. Neil. Uh, Why right. do you hate us, Neil? Uh, <laughs> this is, you know what? This is a very what long... What we have to do for Neil's love? This is a very long question. Uh, she, he's talking about Joanna Yedjechik. Perhaps she can catch on with the Ronda Rousey fans. That said, he says, assuming that, uh, Valerie Latour, this is another goddamn question where this person doesn't use anyone's first fucking names in the whole thing. And yet does use the accent mark in Laterno. Well, he just copied and pasted that. We all know that. <laughs> That's how that works. Uh, that said, Laterno follows the script and gets taken apart by combinations of accuracy and accumulation. How will the new Rousey audience react to Joanna Yedjechik massacring a girl is the general sense of this question. Like, basically, Neil postures, will the, will the little girls and their moms who tune in to see Ronda Rousey fight be uh, drawn in by Joanna Yedjechik or will they be repelled by watching her beat someone up by the same way she did against Jessica Penne in her last fight? You know what? This is actually a good question. Even though we gave Neil C. some shit for not giving us our dude we, daps. We, just, we kid him because we love. Yeah. We love him. But he does make it's like some a good warm embrace. Here. Like he says, like when the people turn in to see Rousey and he says at one point in this very long question, uh, Rousey's recent fights haven't forced anyone to consider what MMA really is. They are PG-13 movies featuring a real-life superhero. I think he's kind of got a point here because when I was working on that story about uh, the speech language pathologist who kind of rec- like heard Ronda Rousey talking about her speech disorder, she had a child and recognized what it was, and then you know she took her daughter who has the same disorder to to meet Ronda Rousey, and you know she said that she'd 
bought her first UFC pay-per-view to see Ronda Rousey after this. And I asked her, kind of, what did you think? Like, did they make a fan out of you? And she said, you know, my husband, I think, actually became a fan. He had never really watched it, and he was pretty much into it. Uh, and she was like, I could handle the grappling. I thought that was cool. And I think, I can't remember what other, there was another female fight on that card, I believe. And she was saying she was watching it and was kind of horrified to see, like, wait, the girl's already got a bloody nose and you're punching her in the nose. Stop punching her in the nose. It's already bleeding. And she was saying, you know, my husband kept telling me, hey, it's a fight. That's what they do. That's how they do it in fights. And she's like, you know, I, I realize that. I, I recognize that that's probably how this works. And it seemed a little bit too much for me. Uh, and she said, I'll watch when Ronda Rousey fights again. But she was definitely not, you know, she's not going to be sitting around watching Bellator prelims on Spike.com. Let's just say that. And I think that that is probably not uh, going to be abnormal for a lot of the people that Ronda Rousey is bringing in that they might, if they, if they watch Joanna Champion get in there and just absolutely wreck Valerie Letourneau, they might not be quite as into it as they are when Ronda Rousey armbars someone and then we can all shake hands afterwards. Yeah, I think that's probably a legitimate worry. I think the the other women's fight on uh, UFC 190 the last time Ronda Rousey fought was uh, Claudia Gedalia and Jessica Aguilar. Uh, so maybe that was the one. Yes, that, that was that, the one that turned her off. Um, I guess my only counter to that would be, and maybe this, the anecdote you just presented, it, uh, like kind of disproves this, but I would think that people who come to a mixed martial arts fighting event and shell out 60 bucks to watch it, regardless if they're just there for Ronda Rousey, are, are, you're already selecting from a population of people that have some inkling as part of their personality that they feel like they might enjoy watching people fight. Right? Like that's. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree that I think that a, a lot of them might have a concept of it that they don't realize how rough it can get in there. But again, I mean, I don't know if that's a reason to do anything differently here. Sure. Because, hey, look, this is what this is. And yeah. either you're going to like this or you're not. And that's what we've always said, too, about Dana White's claim that we're going to be bigger than soccer. This is going to be the biggest sport in the world. There's just some people who don't want to see another person punched in their face until they bleed out of multiple orifices. And that's fine. I realize it maybe makes us the weird ones for liking that, but it's kind of inescapable. Like that's fighting is a, a brutal business. It's a brutal sport to be involved in. And, you know, it, it, if they see it and they don't like it, then I guess they might as well find out now. Yeah. And it probably also comes down to a situation where you've got Joanna Yedjaychik. You want to try to get her over as a star. She's your strawweight champion. What else are you going to do, really? You put her out there and for the people that are going to tune in, the expanded audience that's going to tune in to watch Ronda Rousey. Maybe some of them will like what she has to do. Uh, maybe some of them won't. And I think it probably comes down to a lot of how you present Yed Jacek, maybe even before the fight in terms of those fighter video vignettes that they do to introduce people to the fighters. Uh, and like we talked about last week, I think Joanna Yed Jacek is super likable uh, and, and has like her own charisma uh, that, that is totally unlike the charisma of Ronda Rousey. And yet if you like, just in terms of my personal taste, if I was going to choose a female fighter to get way into, man, give me Joanna Yedjaychik all day, frankly, yeah. over Ronda Rousey, just very much more, uh, uh, in, in line with, with like the, the, the act, action of the fights and the style of, of personality that I think is kind of cool to root for. Uh, so I think like she will find an audience. E even Plus you're a big sneakerhead. That's absolutely, absolutely huge sneakerhead. I'm like, oh, she's got the Jordans threes, right? Is that <laughs> a thing? That's, Jordans, that's the what threes? I always tell people about you when they don't know who Chad Dundas is. You know, he's that sneakerhead dude around town. Oh, that guy. 
We got time for one more here? What are we sure. doing here? Yeah, let's do one more. Uh, question from Paul D. He writes, did you see the UFC magazine stopped or published its last issue? I bet that has something to do with the Reebok deal. As all the file photo photos have the sponsor covered shorts from the past, it would be very hard for them to do a feature on a fighter without any pics of them fighting. Now, see, here's the example. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's like for the life of this Reebok deal, no matter what happens, people are going to be like, see, this is because of the Reebok deal. Yeah, I would think uh, maybe a more simple explanation would just be that what's happening to that magazine is what is happening to magazines. Yes. I would say that the reason UFC magazine stopped publishing is that it was probably not profitable to right. publish UFC magazine. Doubt that it had anything to do with the Reebok deal. It is sad though. I feel like to see the demise of UFC magazine, uh, the, the editor over there, Seth Kelly, we've both worked for him, I believe in the past. Good dude. Good dude. Uh, the thing with UFC magazine was they would always call you at the last possible minute but they would make you an offer that you could not refuse. Yeah, well, I mean, I eventually got to the point where I was refusing it. Yeah, me too. I didn't but really feel good about when it. When times are tight, though, man, yeah. and they're, they're like, hey, do you want to do a thing about the welterweight division? I need it in four days, and I will pay you multiple thousands of dollars. You were like, yeah, yeah, okay. Let me yeah. see if I can get Josh Koscheck on the phone real quick. That did always, though, I don't know if it had, had you had the same reaction, but... You know, when they would do that, I'd be like, you guys still, it's just still a once a month magazine, right? It wasn't like, even that. It was quarterly. <laughs> it's a quarterly magazine. <laughs> like you have kind of a lot of lead time. Like how many, how many other things and other writers did you try before you got around offering this to me? Uh, I think you could kind of see that this was coming too. They, they kind of repackaged UFC magazine a few times. They changed its name from UFC magazine to UFC 360 and then changed its name back, I think, to UFC magazine. Uh, and, and you could just kind of tell that it wasn't really working. Hopefully everybody over there lands on their feet. Uh, you know, they, the UFC kind of partnered with a, a magazine conglomerate to handle the actual production of the magazine. So I have a feeling that there weren't a lot of full timers working on UFC magazine. So I don't know that a tremendous amount of people would be out of work, but still it's never a good thing for a, a business to, to go under like that. So we hope that all of the fine people at UFC magazine, all of whom always treated me, uh, super good whenever I did freelance stuff for them. Uh, we wish them the best. I hope they land on their feet. Although, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Just open space in the market for CME 360. That's right. Our quarterly magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah, just articles about us. Yeah. Once, and our, once and our every interests. Th- yeah. Our um, hobbies and whatnot. You're a classic car collector. I'm a sneakerhead. Right. Sure. This, uh, Yeah, I think this would work. Uh-huh. People are always saying they want more podcasts. Maybe they, they would take a uh, $7 magazine in yeah. lieu of that. You think? Uh, and just like pictures of us that we took on our cell phones uh, wearing Reebok naturally. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you are starting to make this seem very sellable. Yeah. The whole thing just with iPhone pictures. You know inside? what the thing is for people to do is to go ahead and get in on the ground floor and just send us what you feel is a suitable amount of money. Yeah. We'll maybe send you a magazine. You know, also, we are going to need investors. So if people feel like bequeathing us some money so we can get this thing off the ground. Do they, do they have to die to bequeath it? No, that just means give give somebody money, right? Okay. But if, you, if you're going to die anyway, is what I'm That's, saying. And, and hey, we all die. Yeah. Not all men truly live. And you know how you do truly live? <laughs> By giving us some money. Boom. Boom. There it is. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. 
That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out once a week on Friday mornings to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss from Tuesday to Thursday when we're not recording the podcast. We try to make it funny. We try to make it short and easily digestible. It's free. We won't sell your email address to uh, Russian porn people. Strictly American porn Strictly people. American porno Made in the USA. is all you will get from us. If you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe. There really is no risk. For right now. For right now. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. We're going to get started with round number one. That starts right now. Round one of the co-main event podcast is presented by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. The National Academy of Sports Medicine is looking for people who want an exciting career in the fitness industry where you wake up every day doing something that you love. NASM trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you get to stay active and change people's lives. It doesn't get any better than that. The NASM guarantees that you will land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. But it gets better than that, Ben. Tell them about the free internet offer. Well, Chad, you can get a 14-day free trial of fun online programs at MyUSATrainer.com. That's MyUSATrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See MyUSATrainer.com for details. Well, Ben, here's your pairings. For the opening round of the four four man one night Bellator light heavyweight number one contender tournament. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, you're going to kick things off on the main card with a uh, Muhammad Lawal against Linton Vassal, and then you follow that up with the big homie Emmanuel Newton taking on Phil Davis. Uh, the winners of those fights in a perfect world will fight. Uh, later on that evening in the co-main event, and the winner of the entire tournament becomes the number one contender at uh, 205 pounds for the winner of the next fight, which is the main event of Saturday night's card. Liam McGeary, the Bellator light heavyweight champion, taking on Tito Ortiz. So, Ben, obviously it's been a long time since we've seen a one-night tournament. This seems like uh, Bellator tapping into its its uh, new philosophy of maybe being the fun MMA uh, promotion of bringing back uh, some old school flair, which we know they've done with to great success recently, uh, popularizing throwback MMA. Maybe this is just part of that. Uh, but we also know that there are reasons that we don't do one night tournaments a lot anymore. And that is because there are just so many ways for them to go wrong. Uh, so are you looking forward to this MMA one night tournament or a little bit more trepidatious? I am looking forward to seeing in what way it goes wrong. How about that? I think that's you probably just summed it up for a lot of people. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I want to see it go wrong. I obviously would much rather see a great night of fights all the way around. Uh, and I think the lineup they have there is pretty solid. I am interested in seeing how all of that plays out. The thing that always gets me about the one-night tournaments is, for one thing, it seems to just add an extra element of danger, sending those guys back out there to fight again. And it also, like, when you're using it to determine a title shot kind of thing, it's like, I don't necessarily know if it achieves the goal of telling you 
who the best fighter out of that group was. And maybe it does. Sometimes it does. But that seems like almost accidental at times because just so many things can happen when you have to fight twice in one night. And, you know, we're always going to do the thing like we still do, like looking back at some of those pride uh, Grand Prix finales where the guys would fight twice in one night. And you'd say, well, does that guy really get knocked out if he didn't have the much more exhausting fight uh, beforehand? And plus there's just the potential for the final to end up being kind of a shitty fight because both those dudes are already probably pretty tired. They already went through that adrenaline dump, went through the whole thing, and then had to go out there and do it again. You couldn't blame them if they didn't have a whole lot left in the tank after something like that. So, like you said, a lot of ways for it to go wrong, and yet at the same time, I can't blame Bellator for trying to pull up something like this to to get us interested. Can you? No, man. And I think, you know, if you're worried about who eventually is going to emerge victorious and be the the number one contender for the for the light heavyweight crown. Uh, this is almost a no lose situation for Bellator. If for no other reason, than I defy you to name any other light heavyweights in the Bellator <laughs> 205 pound division. But t- beside the eight guys that are on this card here uh, at 205 pounds. So I think that they'll be okay. No matter who emerges from this tournament, obviously uh, I think one of the most interesting things about it is, is Phil Davis making his arrival into Bellator. We haven't seen him since he fought Ryan Bader in January, so if he won it, I think that that would be just fine with Bellator. Obviously, you'd have no qualms with having the big homie Manny Newton rematching uh, Liam McGeary if he happened to beat Tito Ortiz. It wouldn't be terrible uh, to have Muhammad Lawal get another crack at the title. I think Linton Vassal was probably would be your worst outcome of the guys in the main draw and still... Also known as the other guy. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think that that would be awful for Bellator either because that would just be you know, another Bellator championship fight that that was very much in keeping with what they've been doing recently. And then obviously we mentioned it before, but in the alternate fight, you've got Frankie Cars against Felipe Lintz. Um, And then if either of those guys wound up in the tournament, wouldn't be the picture perfect ending. But again, I'm hard pressed to see how this turns into a full fledged like uh, uh, disaster for Bellator that would hurt it down the road some way. Any of these guys, I guess if you just don't get an outcome, that would be a pretty big bummer. That but, like, would... if any of these six guys emerge as your number one contender, I feel like you're okay if you're Bellator. Yeah. Well, I think the only way that it really turns out badly is, well, A, somebody gets hurt really badly because they have to go out there twice. Um, or if somebody, uh, you know, if we get five or six minutes in to the, the finale fight and it's clear that both these dudes are totally spent and we're still going to have to sit around here and wait for the ending. And then I think we might all second guess ourselves. But if, you know, an unexpected person rises through this tournament, that's almost better for, for Bellator. You need new people that we want to pay attention to, new names for us to, to want to learn. And if that happens by them surviving the crucible, that is the one man or one night four man tournament toughest tournament in sports there you go registration mark trademark <laughs> yeah i don't think that would necessarily be so bad and let's talk a little bit about phil davis i mentioned him earlier but obviously this is his bellator debut do you think he's the favorite in this tournament can you have a favorite in a one night tournament because i think if you were just going by popular appeal and maybe even where everybody is ranked on uh the 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 mma rankings that continue to rank fighters from different uh promotions phil davis is probably on top right he, he would have to be considered maybe uh the the best light heavyweight that bellador has just in terms of, of reputation is he the 
Is he the favorite to win this, knowing also he's Phil Davis and it seems like he can go out there and lose a fight at any time? Yeah, there is that. Uh, I do kind of wonder where Phil Davis is right now in his career. But in a four-man, one-night tournament, you know my rule, Chad? I go with the craziest mofo on there. So your obvious pick then is the big homie. The big homie, Emmanuel Isaac Newton, with his deja vus and his coincidences. Just going out there and putting everyone to sleep with spinning shit in the first round? What if that happens? What if Manny Newton goes out there, two first-round KOs, and then you get the unthinkable Tito Ortiz upsets Liam McGeary, suddenly Bellator staring down the barrel of Emmanuel Newton against the Huntington Beach bad boy, and Bellator just, just came up aces. And I'm they just over got here dealt four aces. Rushing to try to register the big TV <laughs> as fast as I can, get that domain name taken care of. It feels like a long time since we've seen Muhammad Lawal. Is that accurate, or or is that just my my take on it? When was the last time he got out there and, and did the damn thing? Well, I don't know. If it, I guess it depends what you mean by seen Muhammad Lawal. Oh, he, he engaged in that heavyweight contest, didn't he? The 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 you're talking about his split decision over Czech Congo, I believe. Yes, which what I was, like to uh, maybe complimentarily refer to as that heavyweight contest. <laughs> that generous take. Uh, yeah, that was what February. Yeah, February uh, of this year. And see, you know, the thing with like when you think about some of the actual matchups in here, you could very easily look at this tournament and be like, man. You could really end up with nothing but boring fights coming out of that. You could you could go the distance in all these things because yeah. that's that's kind of what Lawal is known to do. That's kind of what Phil Davis is known to do. Uh, you know, we've seen Manny Newton go the distance. I think in his last couple of fights. So yeah, you are right. And especially Manny Newton has come to kind of have the reputation as a slow starter in a lot of ways. So yes, sir, you could go out. You could be an hour deep in this Bellator thing, and we're still involved in the in the tournament. But see, how do you get me to almost not even care about that? Something wacky like this. Just make it like a weird thing that we don't see anymore. Uh, uh, kind of a throwback to a bygone era of MMA. Which is, and it, that's weird too, right? Like, I guess it's because of MMA's roots. That, you know, the, the way the UFC started out. That we kind of think of this as not a totally insane thing to do. Whereas I wonder, like, if you went, like, if a boxing promoter was like, all right, we're going to go straight Diggstown style here. This guy's going to fight. You know, we're going to have this one night tournament. I wonder if, like, the boxing purists, the really hardcore boxing fans would be like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> well, that has been the genius sort of of Scott Coker coming in there and taking over Bellator, right? Is that he's been able to, uh, tap into this nostalgia that we sort of feel that maybe we didn't even know that we felt until he started bringing it back. And no, we don't expect Kimbo Slice and Ken Shamrock to put on an entertaining fight, but we're damn sure going to watch. And no, we don't know if the one night 205 pound tournament is going to go off as it's supposed to go off, but we're interested to see it because it does harken back to the days when maybe we felt like this thing uh, was just for fun. And not that you had to tune in for 46 damn shows a year. And, and, and we, we know that there's a certain level of unpredictability with this sort of thing. And we just want to see what the hell is going to happen. I think that that is, that's fine for Bellator. That I think as we've talked about on this show before, that's a good niche for them, man. Like you could do a lot worse than that. Clearly they tried. And Bjorn <laughs> Revney was, it was in charge of things. They tried to go with more of a pure sport, uh, look and it just didn't work. 
I do wonder, though, and Danny Downs brought this up in our trading shots thing this week when we were talking about this, is how maybe it's tougher than we realize right now to sustain if that becomes your niche. Like, if you have to be the one who comes up with wacky, weird shit in order to get us interested, do you just have to keep upping the ante on wacky, weird shit until it gets, dare I say it, too wacky and right. weird. I don't think you can do it forever. I think your hope is that it leads to something else, right? And that maybe that's kind of what's interesting about this fight card because, you know, you either come out of it with Tito Ortiz as your light heavyweight champion or you come out of it with Liam McGeary, who has looked pretty impressive the last few times that we've seen him with a victory over a a guy that even casual fans know who he is. And then if you can set the winner of that fight up up against, you know, Phil Davis or uh, Manny Newton or Muhammad Lawal, whoever emerges from that tournament, maybe that is the next thing that gets you onto the next Bellator quote unquote tent pole event. Uh, and then slowly but surely you have to stop. You have to start, you, you know, you, you must rely less and less on this sort of throwback uh, popularity of the, of the last several fights you've done. Uh, I don't think Bellator is going to turn into a juggernaut overnight. But maybe this kind of thing gets you into some more relevant action that people want to actually turn out turn out to see. I guess that's my best case scenario. Yeah, well, hey, man, I'll just say that you, we've talked about this before, that usually for us, Bellator is kind of a DVR kind of situation. Uh, this one, I, I already told my wife, I don't even have to work that day. I don't even have to write up recaps and sit there and watch that one. But that's where I'm going to be. You know, watch this Bellator. See? Must see TV, man. Appointment viewing. There you go. Scott Coger already wins. Yeah, I just might have to do it with a child on my lap instead of a laptop computer. Anyway, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to get started with some Master Tweet Theater. It's been a week or two since we did that. It's going to be fun and exciting to check in with him. So that starts right now. It's that time again. We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I grow stronger with each passing day. Well, that can't have been true for very long, then, because you seem quite physically weak. Well, perhaps I only grow larger with each day, but I am eating a lot. Also not true. Uh, is there a theme for this week? Yes, sir, there is. The theme is personal grievances. Oh, good. Taking to Twitter to air our disputes with people and sometimes ideas. Wow. Now, this one, Chad, and I have not been able to honestly say this in a while, this one I'm looking forward to. Well, that is that is sort of what Twitter is for. Absolutely. It's for criticizing people you haven't met and calling things gay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's see what we have. <clears throat> Tweet the first. How do I get Tito Ortiz to stop sending me Candy Crush requests on Facebook? I've already asked dude once. Sad face. <laughs> well, man, I really hope that that is legit. Because can't you just see Tito Ortiz doing some shit like that? Just trying to get you to, to play some weird farming game on Facebook and he just won't take the hint. His enormous fingers hitting sand again and again. Uh... Do we know if Liam McGeary has a has a Twitter? I'm going to say Liam McGeary. Maybe it's a, it's a gamesmanship before their big fight. That seems too critical to be Liam McGeary to me. Uh, I'm going to go Stefan Bonner here. Okay. Both fine guesses and both, as usual, wrong. It is Quinton Jackson. <laughs> really? 
Yes, a classic bully move from Quentin Jackson, asking other people how he can get you to stop doing something you aren't actually doing. How do you know he's not actually doing that? That's a good question. It's possible Tito's like, you know who'll love this game? (laughs) Quinton. Tweet the second. Hang on, we're suffering some technical difficulties. Tweet the second. American funniest video is to make people laugh at others' mishaps. According to small-minded people, we should band because you laugh at others. And then an emoji I cannot identify. I'm going to call it sleepy face. Okay. You know what? There's no way that was one tweet, right? <laughs> one single tweet. The trick is to save on spelling uh, in terms of character <laughs> count. Okay. I know I'm going to draw on previous week's experience. Remember when we had one and it seemed like a Vanderlei Silva, but it seemed a little too coherent and it ended up being Jessica I? I'm going to say Jessica I here. Interesting. It does seem too coherent to be Vanderlei Silva, but it also sounds like someone who uses English as their second language. That's uh, what you said about Jessica I. I'm just reminding of you of that right now. I guess I'm going to go with... Uh, who is some name? Someone foreign fights in the UFC. Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Nelson. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fine guesses. One perhaps a little half-hearted, but once again, we have overestimated the English ability of Jessica I. Woo! Damn it, Jessica I. Apparently in danger of getting banned from Twitter for laughing at people. As near as I can tell. Wow. I want to just point out just the master class I put on right there. Not only did I guess it right, I took great advantage of you giving me the opportunity to steer you way the fuck wrong. That was impressive. It, it. it was like the end of a Sherlock Holmes story. Come at me, bro. <clears throat> well, tweet the third. I would rather die a failure than live in my comfort zone. Hmm. That's... I feel like we might be dealing with one of the Randy Coutures here. Mm, yeah. You get that sense? I'm going to say the other Randy Couture, Rich Franklin. Um, For a second, I thought maybe Chris Lehman, but it doesn't seem quite sad enough for what he's been doing on Twitter recently. Uh, would you do you did Rich Franklin? Yeah. I'm going to go with the other Randy Couture. Randy Couture. <laughs> both fine guesses, both Randy Coutures, but only one Rich Franklin. What? My God, this is like a no-hitter. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> but Mr. Folks is being wrong less often than usual. <clears throat> tweet the fourth. Here's a clue. This tweet is directed at a person named Sensitive Corey. You're in no place to say anything I can or cannot say or believe of me. Sit on your couch and watch me prove your insecure mind wrong. Wow. You got any thoughts here, Chad? Um, It sounds like somebody who's got an upcoming fight. Do you think that that could be Tito Ortiz? Oh, that would be a lot of fun. And he is the kind of dude who will, who will tweet at people. Oh, man, if only we hadn't already said Quinton Jackson. I feel like that. I'm going to say Mo Lawal, who has an upcoming fight. Both fine guesses, both likely to take out their frustrations on sensitive Corey, and both wrong, it is Dominic Cruz. Huh. The Dominator getting a little frustrated by the haters on Twitter. Don't let it get to you, Dom. Yeah, this is a man, incidentally, who said Cruz had no place criticizing TJ Dillashaw. If anyone is allowed to criticize T.J. Dillashaw, it's the guy who will fight him later. Yeah, I don't know if Sensitive Corey really understands how uh, 
pre-fight trash talk works. Well, he's crying now, one way or the other. <laughs> he's not. He's not impervious, Corey. For God's sake. <laughs> Tweet the fifth. Yeah, right. I'm a greasy, fast Italian monster. He's Chinese, LMFAO. First of all, I want to point out, you see what he just did there? That, Chad, is why you spend the extra money to bring in a theatricalist to read these tweets. Right, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> now you see where that money went. Uh, sounds like the poet to me. Sounds like the poet Philip Baroni. It does. I, I'm going to have to concur. The poet Philip Baroni. It is. It is the poet Philip Baroni uh, speaking about Sung K. Nan, whom I'm pretty sure is Korean. <laughs> Don't. Hey, come on, man. Let's not start doing this now. No, no. It's not my job to say what race people are. That's how white people cause problems. <laughs> I don't know if we want to start parsing the poet's tweets like that. Let's just let them be sublime all on their own. Uh, I guess that does it. Sir Nigel, what do you got going on this week? You know, it's funny you should mention that, sir. I have just finished wrapping an exciting project about an awkward but likable bachelor who can burst into flame and stretch himself to incredible lengths. I see him. What is it called? It's called The Fantastic Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh-huh. And what role do you play? I play The Thing. I was hoping to play the person, but, you know, favoritism. <laughs> yes, again. Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Round two of the co-main event podcast is brought to you by Fulton & Rourke, a men's grooming and fragrance company that creates products specifically for the way guys operate. In addition to using the highest quality ingredients available, each of their products is designed for the ways men get ready. They're travel-friendly, easy for being on the go, and extremely effective. Their solid colognes, Chad, which use a wax base instead of an alcohol spray, have been featured in GQ, Details, and Fast Company. Men's Health called their ultra-slick no-foam shaving cream one of the best new grooming products on the market. I have used it myself, and I kind of love it, to be honest with you. I also have their hand-milled bar, bar soap in my uh, shower right now. It's designed to perform with or without a washcloth, although I have to be honest, I use mine with my wife's loofah sponge. Nice. It exfoliates and gets you clean, Ben. I don't Classy. know if you know that. Uh, the blend of Moroccan red clay, eucalyptus sage, and black spruce oil smells great and leaves your skin feeling clean and fresh. So I'm up in here smelling like eucalyptus. That's that smell. That smell that you smell right now. That's Moroccan, what that is? That's Moroccan red clay, fool. Okay. Well, Chad, Fulton & Rourke has a special deal just for CME podcast listeners. If you go to FultonAndRourke.com, you can save 15% of your total purchase by entering the coupon code DISCOURSE. At checkout. How do you like that? I like it. Ben, remember when the UFC had that press conference several months ago where they rolled out uh, the, the uh, executives from USADA? Travis Tigert was there. Uh, if I recall correctly, United States track and field legend Edwin Moses was on the die. Uh, and some, some various officials from the United States Anti-Doping Agency. 
And uh, the general reaction from us and from other people in our business who have been waiting to hear this for a long time was, you know, unanimously positive. And we, we said it seemed like a great thing for the industry. And we gave the kudos uh, to the UFC for having the stones to, to finally get this thing done. But there were also some caveats in what we were talking about, some pretty big ifs. And one of the things that we wondered at the time was whether or not the UFC would enter in to this kind of arrangement with a group that we feared might be malleable to the fight company's wishes. Because uh, there had always been some rumors about USADA, uh, especially as they concerned this story about boxer Eric Morales testing positive uh, for performance-enhancing drugs and still being allowed to to defend his title. Uh, uh, when was that? A, a couple of years ago or, or, you know, within the, within recent memory. But anyway, that story was out there. So we wondered a little bit about USADA and this past week, veteran boxing writer, Thomas Hauser dropped his story, uh, headlined over on SB nation. Can boxing trust USADA? Uh, it's a, a long story, a, a wide ranging story. Uh, it might be necessary for us to say a few words about the story itself before we actually discuss the fallout. Cause the story itself uh, it seems to straddle the line a little bit between like investigative news piece and feature story and opinion column because uh, it's kind of internet-y. The, like Thomas Hauser makes some asides here. He makes some generalizations. He, he presents some ideas that he doesn't necessarily uh, back up with sources. Uh, some of the things that you might not be able to slip under the nose of an editor at a newspaper if that's where you worked but seem to be sort of fair game. Uh, on the internet. So, uh, it, it gets, uh, it gets fairly far afield, I would say from just being a straight up uh, news story. But at the same time, a lot of the stuff that he alleges here and some of which he proves through good, solid reporting, uh, is all, is the kind of stuff that we had worried about coming to the fore with USADA. So yeah, man, I feel like this is troubling, a troubling report. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that was troubling to me was the Response from USADA, they, you know, I, I remember, you know, I read this thing last week and I sent out a tweet saying, like, you know, this is, people should read this because this is troubling if this stuff is true. And I got an email from, uh, one of the USADA PR people saying, like, oh, I saw you tweeting about this article. I don't know if you'd seen our response. Here's our response. And basically in the response, they didn't specifically name this article. They said that there were online articles and I believe online was even ha- hyphenated, uh, which, uh, I, I found jarring. Um, <laughs> Did you have to reply to them at an AOL account? <laughs> but saying like, you know, basically the blanket response that there are many factual inaccuracies um, that, that they would address at a later time. I'm still waiting for when that time is. But one that they said they wanted to address right away was the claim that Floyd Mayweather got a retroactive therapeutic use exemption to use an IV before his, his bout with Manny Pacquiao. But the USADA then laying out their version of what happened seems remarkably similar to what Thomas Hauser writes happened. And basically, they don't deny that uh, he did get a retroactive TUE, which to me, that just blows my mind how you can get a retroactive TUE. They said, you know, he their version was that he told them beforehand, hey, I'm going to get an IV after the weigh-ins or whatever. Um but did not apply for the therapeutic use exemption. And so while he's sitting there putting the the IV into his vein, he would seem to be in violation of the WADA code. Right. We've just been over all this shit about how the WADA code uh, prohibits IV use. You know, we've 
a bunch of fighters made a big deal out of it, and we wondered exactly how it's going to play in MMA. And so there's the biggest money boxer around sitting there violating the WADA code, has not received a TUE, has not even applied for one yet, and he's doing it, and then afterwards applies for the TUE. And the thing is, USADA, once they approve the therapeutic use exemption, has to tell uh, Manny Pacquiao and the, the commission. They wait like 18 days after the fight to approve it, which, why? Why would it take that long? How could it possibly take that long? Right. There seems to be no good explanation for it. And uh, I guess to make matters a little bit cloudier over on our side of the street and in MMA is, you know, very shortly after we saw this article come out, there was also the story about uh, USADA okaying Frank Mir to have a therapeutic use exemption for Adderall leading up to his most recent fight in Las Vegas. Uh, but that was a TUE that the Nevada State Athletic Commission did not approve. Uh, and I, the gist of the story is when they found out about it, they told Frank Mir he couldn't use his Adderall. And according to sources, he stopped taking it. But that seems like kind of a dangerous and strange thing for USADA to do to, to like go out on its own and approve fighters, uh, for their, for their own therapeutic use exemptions when in fact they're not really the ones in, in charge of that. And as you said, uh, it gets really murky and troubling if they're doing that retroactively because there seems to be, at least to my mind, no good explanation for why to do that if not just a CYA maneuver, right? Cover your ass. Okay. I see what you did there. Yeah. No, there, cause why? Why would you do it that way? A retroactive TUE for anything really mm -hmm. just makes no sense. Uh, and the thing, you know, the Frank Mir thing, we heard Lance Pugmire from the LA Times saying, uh, that the commission, uh, accusing USADA of confusing the fighters and saying that uh, the TUE was inadmissible with them. And then in a different story, uh, on MMA fighting, I believe, uh, the, the UFC drug czar, uh, saying, uh, you know, Jeff Nowitzki saying, no, that, that's not inaccurate. He just didn't get his paperwork to the to NSAC in time for something like this. And it does create a weird situation, right? Because you want there to be some big national, international body responsible for this kind of stuff. And yet we've also got to go through state athletic commissions. And so you can see how it would get confusing for fighters if there is something that you, you legitimately need a therapeutic use exemption for. And you're not exactly sure who you need to go through for it and when you get back into that same problem we've had with drug testing situations with MMA for a long time is that the fighters don't always know with a terribly long timeline in advance where they're fighting, whose jurisdiction it's going to be under it kind of highlights the need for a national body. And then at the same time, just because the UFC has picked USADA and struck a deal with them, that does not necessarily mean that you can just go and do whatever you want, depending on where you're fighting. So it is like it's already just a murky situation, but it is also troubling because, like you said before, the there's kind of a honeymoon period, right, where we heard USADA, we heard legitimate drug testing body, sounded like the UFC was ready to get serious about this stuff and cut a check to somebody else, let somebody who knows what they're doing handle it. And then, to you know, right after you have this story with them granting retroactive TUEs uh, to, you know, basically a dude who has a lot of money and power in the industry – then there's a story like, well, okay, so the, one of the first things you're doing when you're taking over is you're giving Frank Mir a TUE for Adderall? Yeah, basically, the, so the umbrella claim in, in uh, the Hauser article, and again, we do want to stress claim because this story does some things that I, that I don't necessarily like a lot, but uh, the, the central claim is that USADA will massage its own rules or give preferential treatment to uh, 
institutions or people that that are either paying it or a, a lot of money or that it does a lot of business with, which seems like the UFC would fit right in the wheelhouse of that description. Uh, and and from the get-go, the reason that we wanted the UFC to partner with a third-party testing agency in the first place, aside from the fact that there had been some high-profile instances of the UFC just flat botching drug testing, uh, you know, with some guys, uh, was that we didn't necessarily trust them to do it themselves. We wanted to have a an independent organization handle it. And so now that there are these reports out, or at least this one report, that, hey, maybe USADA isn't as independent as it wants us to think that is troubling because it fits right into the thing that we feared all along. That would be the sort of relationship that the UFC would seek out. And now that this report is out there, I wonder what, what has to happen for us to restore our faith in the UFC drug testing program. And the only thing that I can come up with is, uh, some main events got to fall apart because of it. Cause then, then you might be able to look at it and be like, okay, well, now it seems like they're actually doing this. Uh, whereas if we found out that they had just off the top of my head done something like granted Jose Aldo, a retro retroactive TUE to use an IV so that his main event against Conor McGregor didn't fall apart at UFC 194, then we'd be like, huh, that seems to confirm our fears. Yeah. And it would seem like a, a real, uh, bad situation for the UFC because then you've just paid a bunch of money to basically not improve your standing. And I mean, the, the best thing you would be able to say is that, Hey, don't blame us, blame them. You right. know, one thing you thought it can do. And I mean, I agree with what you're saying that, Hey, if a huge fight fell apart, then that might give us confidence that they're going to be willing to make the, the painful decisions, even when uh, the, the money interest is not there. Uh, but then again, that would, you know, just because you saw one instance of that would not mean that it, it's not going the other way. In other right. instances, one thing you thought it could do, to help itself is to start talking a little bit. And they're not doing that right now. Or at least, you know, they're only doing it on their terms. And it's weird because before they had their, their contract with the UFC, uh, the USADA people, I found them to be a lot more amenable to media requests. Uh, I, I could text Travis Tigert and get him on the phone. And lately it's been pretty much impossible. And lately their, their PR people have acted as just kind of a wall between anybody at USADA who might be able to answer some questions and, and get on the phone with you and the media. And that seems like the exact opposite of what they should be doing. They should, they should be an open and transparent uh, organization that we can reach out to and ask questions to and get answers to from. And when some report like this comes out, they should be open to taking questions and talking to us about it and laying their cards on the table. And they're definitely not doing that right now. They seem to have kind of closed up ranks. And that seems like the worst thing you can do. Right that now. does seem like the worst thing you can do and seems like the thing that happens to people when they get involved with the UFC. All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round three today. Ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to UFC bantamweight Aljamain Sterling. He's trying out to uh, drum up a fight for himself out there, something that he could really use, considering that he's 11-0 and and on the rise at 135 pounds, but has only fought once since last July. Unfortunately, in his efforts to call out Brian Carraway, he went for the low-hanging fruit earlier this week and uh, tried to get Misha Tate involved in it. He tweeted, quote, Like I told you, Misha Tate, great fight, but heard through the grapevine you didn't get the title shot because Brian Carraway keeps turning down fights. First of all, let's hope that's not true because if it was, are you fucking kidding me, UFC? Second of all, man, why can't we just let these two crazy kids just be happy? 
Ben? Why do we always have to continue picking on Brian Caraway because he w- dates a well-known person in the MMA world? Uh, why is that a thing? Can't we just imply that Brian Caraway is duck- ducking us on Twitter without dragging his significant other into it? Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? You know what it is? Is the haters is jealous of their love? Something like that. Just They're- let those star-crossed lovers be happy, man. Fucking kidding me. Well, Chad, we mentioned it in this round, but I have to circle back here and give my are you fucking kidding me to Frank Mir requesting a therapeutic use exemption for Adderall? Adderall for a UFC fighter. Chad, does he have a big report on whales dues that he can't focus on? Is he having trouble concentrating on his math homework? He's a professional cage fighter and one in his mid-30s, mind you. And this is Frank Mir, the guy who previously had a therapeutic use exemption for synthetic testosterone until those got yanked. And now he wants to get on Adderall. Do you not just want to fight fight clean just with absolutely nothing? Just just try that out? You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? What's he need Adderall for? Chad? Well, it turns out he's ADHD. He's, you know, been in the UFC 15 years and 20 fights. We just found this out now. Well, I'm sure it's going to do wonders for his novel that I hope he's working on. That's going to do it for round two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, after he is out to a surprising 2-0 start in Bellator, Jacob Christopher Ortiz has been ordained the number one contender for the light heavyweight title, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show. He's going to take on the reigning champion, Liam McGeary, in the main event of this weekend's Bellator Dynamite show. Uh, you know, McGeary is a guy who comes in 10-0. He just recently took the title off Emmanuel Newton back in February. Uh, he's a guy who looks super dangerous off his back, but maybe also looks like a work in progress. And clearly he's a guy not as well known as Tito Ortiz. On the other hand, kind of on the upswing in his career and seems like a guy who could potentially be a star that Bellator could market. Uh, he's going to be opposite Ortiz, who obviously is a full blown MMA star, but is, uh, on the downside of his career, a lengthy and legendary career. And, and there was a time in there where, you know, he went about one and six or one and seven, uh, back to close out his UFC career. So I guess my introductory question to you is what's the better outcome here for Bellator to have Tito Ortiz as its champion for however short a time or to establish Liam McGeary maybe as a guy it can promote? Or ratings-wise, I don't know. I think Tito Ortiz might be your better bet if you're Bellator. I'm still surprised at the ratings numbers Tito Ortiz managed to pull. I'm still surprised how many people still love them some Tito Ortiz, even though it seemed like athletically he hasn't had a ton for quite some time. And yet, people just don't get tired of him, man. By the way, have you seen the betting odds on this fight? I have not. What are the betting odds on this fight? What would you guess they would be? I would say Liam McGeary is a 2-1 to favorite. Now see, that seems kind of reasonable. Instead, he is about a 5-1 to favorite. Okay. That does surprise me a little bit. He, he, You know, Liam McGeary is a good and and very dangerous light heavyweight. He's a huge dude at six foot six in that division. Also 32 years old, which is kind of surprising to me. I think 
since you know he's only 10 and 0 and we've only seen his last handful of Bellator fights we might have the tendency to cast him as a prospect uh he's a little long in the tooth for that but he's a guy who's definitely just coming into his own on the big stage as the as the uh, Bellator light heavyweight champion. I would say he does have a youthful exuberance. He does. It's even when Tito Ortiz is trying to trash talk him, it's like when they were doing that at the last Bellator tentpole event and Tito Ortiz was trying to get into his trademark shit talking and Liam McGeary was just smiling, making this face like he knew he had made it. Like he was like, mom, look at me. Look at me now. Tito Ortiz is shit talking to me. He's an MMA fantasy camp, which I think you got to like that exuberance yeah. personally. If I had to, to guess how this fight's going to go down, I would say Liam McGeary probably gets it to the ground somehow and, and, and submits Tito Ortiz one way or another. Uh, but who knows, man? Like I said, Liam McGeary's a guy who, you know, we haven't seen a ton of him and he's, he's definitely a developing, uh, commodity. So I'm not going to say Tito Ortiz can't come out there and shock the world. No, I'm not going to say that either. Uh, I all, I am going to say, I think Liam McGeary probably wins it and it will be interesting to see if Tito Ortiz has perhaps an interesting explanation for things that might have hampered his performance like in the fight. Uh compound fracture of his femur that he suffered a couple weeks out from the fight. Possibly. Or just like missing lung. That that I mean if he hasn't considered that one, I'm just gonna throw that one's free. I'm so, giving you that one. You know, he shows up there maybe and says somebody uh stole his his kidney, woke up in a bathtub in Las Vegas it full happens. of ice. It happens you, you been don't partying think it with some happen. Russians the night before. And then it happens. Uh you know who knows what what happens there as far as what's better for you there i mean i think that this is one of those fights where as long as bellator managed to put it together and has the advantage of being bellator where people aren't going to really beat up on you too much for having tito ortiz fight for your light heavyweight title in 2015 because we recognize what's going on over there we hold you to a little bit lower expectations i feel like this almost can't go wrong for Bellator, because you know you get the ratings boost of having T. Ortiz on there. If Liam McGeary beats him, then he gets to put this kind of beat a legend stamp out there. Even though a lot of other people have that particular stamp right now, um, but at least you beat a T. Ortiz who's on a two fight winning streak. Uh, if T. Ortiz wins and he gets to hold your belt, you know that whatever you have him do next, he's gonna show up, cut some crazy ass promo that only halfway makes sense but still feels exciting. And uh, people are going to get excited about continuing to see him hit fight. I mean, especially in the MMA landscape where everything old is new again. And Tito Ortiz as Bellator light heavyweight champion at the age of 40. That could be a lot of fun. <laughs> For however short it lasted, I suppose, it could be a lot of fun. Uh, it's an interesting matchup because did we talk about the rumor? Did we talk about this on the air last week or did we just discuss this amongst ourselves? What the the rumored matchup for Tito Ortiz was before he requested this title fight? We talked about that uh, Scott Coker had said that uh, he wanted Frank Shamrock right. versus Tito Ortiz yeah, which in is, San Jose. Which is, for Tito Ortiz, I would think, a better matchup and uh, like uh, a matchup that would score a higher rating for Bellator. And instead, Ortiz, we're led to believe, uh, demands this title fight against Liam McGeary, which makes you wonder exactly what Tito Ortiz's motivation is, like... Getting that belt. I guess, but as the long-standing UFC light heavyweight champion, the guy who really saved the sport in a lot of ways back in the days when uh, it got kicked off pay-per-view and, and John McCain was was trying to kill it, uh, you know, if you're that guy and you have that history, could it possibly be that important to you to suddenly be Bellator light heavyweight champion? I, I just don't know, but maybe he feels like that legitimizes the late part of his career if he becomes the champion. Yeah, I could see him telling himself that. I mean, everybody makes a big deal about titles, and I understand how 
for a lot of fighters, simply saying, like, let me look around for the next money bout is not necessarily enough motivation to keep them going to the gym every day. So maybe that's what keeps him out there, is saying, I'm going to be the champion. I'm, I'm chasing that gold. Uh, which reminds me, by the way, that I was, you know, I follow Mo Lawal on Instagram. And he... I feel like you just got into Instagram. I did just get into Instagram. Isn't Mainly, it? it's a way that, like, I can share pictures of my kids with my family without ever actually having to directly interact with my family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Because this is kind of like you just getting getting into Instagram now is a pretty... That's an old man folks move, right? Because we're isn't Instagram almost over? Aren't we on to the next thing? Yeah, I figure I'll wait six to nine months and then figure out what Snapchat is. Okay. Uh, but Mola Wall posted a thing, you know, talking him talking about getting ready for this tournament and saying how he is chasing the gold like a black leprechaun, which really made me have to pause and be like, wait a minute, don't leprechauns already have the gold? Isn't that why we're always trying to corner the rep- leprechauns to make them give up the gold? Right. And then. I had to admit that maybe I was overthinking what was just kind of a an awesome soundbite. Yeah, that would make, it would make leprechaun. Liam McGeary the leprechaun. And I don't know how a six-foot-six six dude can be a leprechaun. Way too tall to be a leprechaun. Yeah. Let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff for this week? Well, Chad, uh, have you been following the trash talk between Daniel Cormier and Alexander Gustafson? At, from arm's length, sure. Well, at the Go Big press conference, you had Daniel Cormier talking about how if he were Alexander Gustafson, he'd be mad at all these media people talking about the fight that he lost to John Jones as being his big awesome fight. Because what about his earth-shattering win over Jimmy Manoa? Uh-huh. See, that's sarcasm. Yeah, that's that's a little bit subtle. Sardonic. And then Alexander Gustafson comes back, fires back at DC, talking about uh, how you know he's a, a loving and humble champ. Uh, who stays in shape year-round, and Alexander Gustafson co- hopes that his weight cut will be as easy as DC's, and he's just really looking forward to fighting the unquestioned one true champion of the USC light heavyweight division. I'm just saying, I don't know if this may be perhaps too subtle, sarcastic, back-and-forth trash talk. I don't know if it's going to work on most fight fans. I don't know if it's just going to be completely lost on a lot of fight fans, but I'm just saying... I feel like I finally found a trash talk zone where I could excel. Yeah, that seems right. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying, how do you think Jake Shields is going to fulfill the 50 hours of community service that he was handed in Nevada for punching Bruce Mar Paul Harris after the bell in his most uh, recent World Series of Fighting fight? Uh, making balloon animals at the farmer's market? He's going to go door to door and lecture people on the evils of, of punching others after the bell? Do you think maybe he's going to go talk to school kids about the benefits of a vegan lifestyle? I'm just trying to picture this in my mind. And, you know, Ben, I have to say, once I started thinking about it, I, I realized that there's a pretty awesome hashtag lifestyle piece out there for just waiting, man, for an intrepid reporter who accompanies Jake Shields during his 50 hours of community service and then kind of does a TikTok on it. What do you think? Maybe where he teaches jujitsu to violent felons. Wait, that could actually go terribly. I was thinking more like you and Jake Shields in the Fremont District in Vegas wearing a couple of those reflector vests with long sticks that you use to spear trash. Just doing that. (laughs) And then you write a story about it. What do you think? Okay. Count me in. On the road with Jake Shields. All right. Hashtag lifestyle. Or let's just pretend that I've already written it and we all agree that was great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's good enough, too. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. 
We'll be back next week to tell you about all the stuff that happens at Bellator, Dynamite, and maybe even look ahead to a UFC event. Who knows? As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know, I don't think you want to get into a sarcasm contest with a Scandinavian. I don't know why I feel that. It just seems like that fits right into their sort of like cold and, and kind of uh, dry sense of humor. But I feel like I've been training my whole life. Well, I think you would be fine. Daniel Fulminate is a good one. Oh, I'm